Sorry, my allergies are kicking my butt today. The grass pollen. Whew. Someone made me mow grass yesterday. <laughs> Scripture today <clears throat> comes from Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 to 23. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. God bless his word this morning. Um, Let me apologize to you right up front. This could be a scotch boring to you. So I just wanted to to say that this morning. But I really feel we need to work through this process, and then maybe next week will be a little more um, not so boring to you. So here we go. The Mayflower Compact was a preliminary board of government for those who had left England. They had left the old land to come to the new. And they came for different reasons, to start a new life, make some money, escape trouble, and religious freedom. The ship had to land in New England and not Virginia as planned. This nullified any agreements the passengers signed before leaving since the agreement was formatted for Virginia and not New England. They signed a contract, a compact with one another that when we go to the new world, we're going to abide by these rules, laws, and regulations. But since they had went off course... The rules, laws, and regulations was no longer valid to them. And so there began to be uprising and fights among the people when they got to the new land. The compact, not signed by all, was able to stabilize the passengers and get them through the bad times. They were bickering and fighting and arguing as to what to do. So they came together and said, we have to put something together if we're going to make it, first of all, here. Not everybody survived when they came over to the New World. And when they got there, they were in a really bad environment. It was going to be wintertime, and things weren't going to go well. Add to that, fighting with one another and bickering with one another was not a good thing to do. So they put this thing together that not everybody signed, not everybody agreed. But for the most part, these people signed this agreement to help them move on to what we have today. Government affects every part of our lives. Like it or not, you're not getting away from the dog. The dog government rules the roost. You have government in your individual life, do you not? You choose what you're going to eat and drink. You govern your body, how your body is going to be protected, what your body's going to do, what you're going to see with your eyes, what you're going to think in your mind, where you go to school. You govern your body. Couples govern their households. When they get married, they quickly decide who's going to do what. And there's negotiations going on in the relationship as to who's going to have what responsibility. When they raise kids, they decide how will the kids be raised. We've got to have something to put them in, some direction, something for them to do that will help govern them in their lives. 
There is nowhere you can turn to get away from government. It invades every aspect of our lives. And in our sermon text this morning, we read about a preliminary form of government for the children of Israel. Now remember, Moses, God had called Moses. He goes and tells the children of Israel that God, the Almighty, is going to bail you out of this situation. And he's going to take you to the promised land. So they do this, they come to the wilderness, and they're about to go to their inheritance. And Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, bring Moses' two boys and his wife back to where Moses and the people are at. And when he comes, Moses tells him everything God had done in the lives of the people. And the Bible says that Jethro went and made a sacrifice to the God. It says, now I truly know that your God is above all gods, and there are no God like him. But in verses 13 through 18... Jethro notices Moses judging the people from morning till evening. He sits there all day. Can you imagine going through that many people in a day and listening to their concerns and their complaints? Moses done it. But I have to tell you, I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't want to talk to nobody else but Moses. After all, it was Moses who came and says, uh, all I got to do is hit my staff and that water's going to turn to blood. I'm going to lay my staff down. It's going to turn into a snake and eat all your snakes. I'm going to speak to you, Pharaoh, and you're going to let the people of God go. So don't you think if I'm back there listening to that, I'm going to go to Aaron or anybody else about my concern. I'm going to the top dog because the top guy hears God and follows God and listens to God. So I have no problem with Moses out there speaking to the people and all the people running to him because they want an answer from God. They don't want to happen to them what happened to the Egyptians when they left. So Jethro, he sees this, and I will paraphrase what happens in 13 through 18. Uh, This is what Jethro kind of says. Moses, this is not good for you to do. There's too many people for you to watch over, protect, and judge their matters. As a matter of fact, These people are going to get frustrated. They're going to stand in line and want to hear uh, what you have to say about their concerns. And they're not going to hear it. Some of them are going to have to wait the next day. They may have to wait a week before you're able to judge their matter. Uh, They're going to be very, very frustrated what's going to happen. There's no way, Moses, you can do this alone. He said, in those cases that are not heard, what do you think is going to happen, Moses? They're going to begin to complain and murmur that you're not listening to them. They're going to go back to camp and there's going to be dissent in the camp. Things are not going to go smooth anymore if you do all of this. Along with this, that you will not be able to do what God has asked you to do. God chose Moses for a specific task. And Jethro says, he chose you to lead the people from captivity. He directed your paths, he watched over you, protected you, and he showed you how he was going to do it. And when you said to him that you were not able to speak like you wanted to speak in front of the king, he said, I'm going to send Aaron to speak on your behalf. Moses, God gave you the law. He gave you the commandments. He gave you the direction. You cannot do all of this and follow the heart of God at the same time. He says you cannot fulfill all of what God's called you to do if you sit day after day after day judging the people. In verses 19 through 22, this is what Jethro suggests to Moses. He says, stand before God and pray for the people over their matters. Simply saying, intercede on behalf of the people. And didn't Moses do that? 
When the people complained and they got mad about what was going on, and God says, I'm taking them out, every last one of them, Moses went, wait a minute, sir, this is your people that you love and that you called and that you directed. Why would you do this to your people? And God withheld his judgment because Moses interceded on their behalf. Jethro says, this is what you are to do. Intercede to God on behalf of the people. He says, secondly, you are to teach the people the law of God. What does God say in his law? How is the law to be understood and interpreted? How is it to be directed? This is your responsibility, Moses, to the people of God. To pray and to teach. He says, you need to delegate the other responsibilities out. And he says, these are the kind of people you need to pick to lead the people of God. They must be men who walk in truth, men who fear God, and men who hate covetousness. These kind of men need to be in charge of fifties, hundreds, thousands, and hundreds of thousands, Moses. Pick them out and let God do the work in their lives. In verse 23, Jethro gives Moses the good results of this counsel. He says, first of all, you will endure as a leader. You will not be bogged down. Your mind and your heart will not be hurt. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a psychiatrist. But when I was in the United States Army, and we worked real close with psychiatrists about soldiers' mental health, you probably know them. But every one of those dudes that I ever met, this eye was called the lazy eye. It was always shut, and it blinked, just constantly blinked. I figured the dude was stressed. Why was he stressed? Because he heard case after case after case of what was going on in people's lives. I believe police officers do the same thing. People get overwhelmed in their mind and their hearts with things coming at them, and it's hard for them to process all that. And he's trying to help him out and say, uh, don't you do this, uh, Moses. You want to endure as a leader, then you need to heed my words and allow the people to have leaders in their own sections to do this. He says, secondly, God's people will go in peace, not waiting on judgment. He says that when they come to hear the case, they'll hear what these rulers have to say, and they can go back home and live like the rulers asked them to live. Their case will be heard, and they will walk in peace. That is to say, they'll go back, and they won't be bickering and arguing anymore in their little camps. They'll have heard the case of Moses, they'll have heard the plea, and they'll go back and do what the elders have asked them to do. He says um, they'll go in peace, and they won't have to wait on judgment anymore. All this advice, Jethro says. Now, Jethro gives his advice. He says, this is what I want you to do. But then he checks himself. He says, now, all of this advice is contingent on God's approval of what's going on. God must approve of a situation that I'm telling you about. If God don't approve of my counsel, he said, Moses, don't do it. God's approval is found in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 13. When God says to Moses, pick out these people in thousands, hundreds, and hundreds of thousands and let them do the judgment on the people's lives. This uh, preliminary government of the children of Israel eventually took them to the promised land. It led them, it guided them, and directed their lives. And of course, they grew as a nation, they grew as a people, but it was this, this start that led them to go to where God wanted them to be. Today, today churches are like that. Independent and denominational churches uses three approaches to government. Now this is seen in the early church. And next week I'm going to talk specifically about 
what the leaders are supposed to do in their spiritual lives, who we are supposed to be as men and women of God as we serve and follow him. But this type of government was seen in the birth of the church, and it's shown in denominations all over the country. There are three approaches to church government. The first one is called Episcopal. They're led by a bishop, elder, or the pastor. Catholic, Orthodox, and Lutheran are forms of this type of government. Then there's the Presbyterian form of government. It's been governed by eldership and supported by deacons. A group of elders kind of watch over and protect the church and lead the church, and then the deacons kind of live that out for them and make sure those laws and rules are being followed. Presbyterian, Reformed churches are this kind of government. Then there's a government that's called congregational. The power resides with the members of the congregation. People will tell you that the early church used one of these forms of government, and they're very dedicated to their form of government, and they won't change. But historically, the Brethren movement from Alexander Mack on down to where we're at today has always had a congregational form of government that the people in the congregation, the power resided with them. We, the Oak Street Brethren, are a congregational form of government as well. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that means he's the king, he leads us, and he guides us, and he directs us. The members of this congregation are the final authority on all church matters. That's Article 4 of our Constitution. So to speak, you're the boss. I understand Jesus Christ is Lord. The Holy Spirit guides us and directs us. And the word of God confirms us. But the church, the members of the church, we are the boss. Article 4 of the Constitution. So that a heavy responsibility is placed on us as members of the congregation to understand and obey the call of God in our lives and what he wants us to do in the church. We should not take lightly the call of God touching our hearts and touching our minds and moving in our lives. He wants to use us, he wants to direct us, and he wants to guide us, and we should not take that lightly. That is a huge, huge responsibility. It was given to those who built this church from the two other congregations. We have a rich history and a rich foundation, and we do not want to let that go. So a big weight is placed on us to listen to the call of Christ, follow the call of Christ, and flesh that out. But you, the members of this congregation, have delegated a huge part to the board. Article 8 of the Constitution. The board, in turn, that is the, the board that we're going to have the board meeting on August 23rd, the board, in turn, creates and leads three commissions. Article 6 of our Constitution, we have three commissions, nurture and witness, stewardship, music, and worship. These three commissions facilitate our worship experience in different ways. That's written in our bylaws, pages 9 and 10, section 6. I do want to say that in these commissions, we want to have a good worship experience, do we not? To me, it all starts with the praise and worship. As we enter into the presence of God, the commission of praise and worship seeks the heart of God and say, Lord, what are we going to do? Direct us in our worship service so that we might glorify you. 
Now it works in conjunction with the pastor. What's your sermon going to be about? What scripture are you using? We need to be praying and seeking God that we do his will. The stewards have a huge part in it. I tell you what, let the building be too hot. Let the building be too cold. Our outside facilities look awesome. So the stewardship has a huge responsibility, not only that, but in the monies. Keeping the budget tight. How are we going to do the budget? Nurture and witness to help us grow in our spiritual lives and to share the gospel with uh, other people that's around us. These commissions have a huge responsibility in the life of the church. The deacons, they perform the spiritual and overall well-being of the congregation. Article 4 of the Constitution. I've talked to the deacons and we've mentioned about spiritual they're the spiritual leaders of the church. It's written in the Constitution and bylaws. We pray together. They go visit. They make sure everybody's taken care of. And I'm going to tell you what. In this congregation, the deacons rock. They call on you. Are you doing okay? Is there anything we can do for you? You've missed a couple of services. Is everything all right? Not to bug you, but in their own way to say, we honestly care. There's a whole lot of churches that don't have that a part of their ministry. You just come and go as you please. But the deacons, they really work hard at protecting that with their flock, a deacon flock that they have back there. So they perform the spiritual and overall well-being of the church. All of this stuff is held together. You, the congregation, the board, the commissions, and the deacon, it's all held together in the preamble by the vision statement. Jesus is alive. This was the vision given by Pastor Brody, which you wrote in the Constitution. Jesus is alive, alive in us. Well, if he's alive and he's alive in us, he should be speaking to our hearts. We should be growing in him. We should be maturing in him. We should be in his word, studying his word. We should be telling our faith to other people. Our church should be growing. It should be moving. And it should be going out and doing the work of the many. If Jesus Christ is really alive, he is Lord of our lives and he's Lord of our church and he's Lord over you and me. One of the things I love about being an American is freedom. I can come and go as I choose. Right? I tell my bosses all the time, you might want to mute this, it might get me fired. I'm not doing that job. Boy, are you trying to hurt me? Well, you can go get another job. I have the freedom to do that, right? You have the freedom to go and do as you want. And Paul, I spoke about this before, Paul gives that freedom. But he says, because I have this freedom don't mean I need to use and abuse it. I'm under the constraints and the call of Christ on my life. He's to be Lord of my life and every aspect of my life. He is to be Lord and King. And he should direct it, guide it, so that maybe I do have all these rights, but maybe I shouldn't exercise all my rights and freedoms because it might hinder my brother and sister in Christ or it might dampen my witness. We belong to him. If he's alive enough, if he's working in us and touching our lives, we will grow. If you want to call it numbers, cool. We will grow in our children's church. More kids will come. More kids will get saved. We'll grow in the nursery. Things will grow because God will take over our lives. He will invade our lives and he will move. And when God is moving, nobody can touch that. Now, there's different ways people interpret God is moving. But one thing I know for sure, when he begins to move in your life, you're going to get in that word, you're going to pray, and you're going to go out and share your faith. 
That's the main way he does it, working in our lives. Oak Street, brethren, we have some work to do in our Constitution and all the things that we want to do in the future. We have some work to do. So I want to say to you this morning with where we're going. First of all, no one is perfect. We all sin. We've all fallen away. We've all probably got some kind of past we wish we wouldn't have had, right? We should not hold over one another's heads things that's happened in the past and arguing and bickering about things like that. Jesus Christ buried it when he died and resurrected. It's gone. No one is perfect. The children of Israel, even Moses, did all these wonderful works, even though Jethro come and said, here's what you need to do to be an effective leader. The children of Israel still fought. They fought and they bickered. Did they not get mad at Moses? He's not no leader. Who called him? Why can't Aaron do it? Why can't Miriam do it? When they go out there, he's been up there for 40 days. Let us make a calf and we'll worship this calf. They fought and they bickered. Everywhere they went, they fought and bickered what was going on. So this preliminary government, though it seemed right and good, it still had some flaws in it because men was involved. So they fought and bickered with each other. The church in Acts, Acts chapter 15, they fought and bickered. Paul says that he saw Peter once and he went up to Peter and he says in Galatians, I confronted Peter to his face because he was wrong. Wrong over the Gentile-Jewish relationship. They argued. They bickered. They fought with one another even though they had a government. Even though they picked certain ones out to lead the government, they fought. They fought and bickered in the book of Acts. The early brethren, right after Alexander Mack and those nine went and started fellowship, it didn't take long till somebody else came along and says, I have a vision of what we're supposed to do. They argued and they bickered with one another. They still had a government, but they bickered. Those survivors on the Mayflower, they fought and they argued with each other as to what to do. The Church of the Brethren, as a denomination, is still in it right now. They're arguing, and they're bickering, and they're trying to come to conclusion, what does the Word of God say, and what does it mean that we have no creed but the New Testament? How are we to understand and interpret that? So I'm going to say again, if the Israelites bickered, if the church bickered, if the early church bickered, if the Brethren Movement bickered, if the Mayflower bickered, you and I don't stand a chance. We're going to bicker and argue. That's the way it's going to be. We are going to bicker and argue. How could the people who saw the very works of God, who saw the Lord Jesus Christ in person, watch him die and watch him rise again, if they couldn't get along, I fully expect us to have arguments and dialogue as to the Constitution and God's call on our life as a congregation going forward. I fully expect that, that we're going to do that. However, the Lordship of Christ, Him being Lord of our lives, the communion of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, His Word is sufficient to take us into the future. His Word is sufficient to bring us together. I fully believe it with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The more I study the Brethren Movement and their idea of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives by experience, touching us, moving us, and changing us, and Jesus Christ 
changing our lives, and then saying, allow the Spirit to lead us and guide us. This is what they believe. But he says, uh, the Word of God has to rule our lives. They believe this. I believe that. We've experienced Jesus Christ. He's touched us. He's made us. He changed us. He directs our lives. He guides us. That's experience. It's confirmed in our lives, but it's the Word of God that will bring us together, and it's the Word of God that is going to move us forward. Maintain our traditions the best we can, but go forward in what Christ is asking us to do. We have a huge, huge, huge responsibility as a congregation because we follow the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He wants to use us for His glory and to reach people. Reach the brethren who are hurting, and then outside the walls of the church, reach the lost man that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God is sufficient to bring us together. And if he's not, then he's not. Everything I believe about God, Jesus Christ, and the Word is not true. But I believe the Spirit of the living God will bring us together, and he will move us, and he will take us forward with what he wants us to do. Jesus is alive. He's alive in us. We, the members of the congregation, it's up to us to hear the heart of God, to follow the heart of God, and to do what he's asking us to do, and to make sure the leaders in the church are hearing God right. We are truly following him and serving him under the authority of God's word. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you now in the Lord Jesus Christ, thanking you for the King of kings and Lord of lords, thanking you for the Bible stories that we read this morning and Moses and leading the people and the people uh, listening to their elders and following their elders and they're having discussion and praying and seeking your face and the early church in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for all forms of government that are out there that churches follow. But Lord, the Oak Street Brethren, we voted to leave the district and we voted to go independent but maintain our brethren distinctives and I'm asking you Lord to make sure that me the pastor of the Oak Street Brethren is hearing the heart of God following the heart of God and that we as a congregation are working as one whatever you're calling us to do into the future the direction you're taking us let us be in agreement that this is the will of God if it's your will just like Jethro said only if it's the will of God we truly want to follow you. We truly want to serve you. We truly want to love you. And we want to be a blessing to those around us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. And Lord, let it all be confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives through the word of God. That you, O oh God, might be glorified in everything we say and do. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.